Our speaker today is Dr. Dale Gentry. He is a biologist who is integrating science with Christian faith, and he happens to be the, the former, former department chair and professor of biology and biochemistry here at UNW. He's the creator and director of Disciple Science, a nonprofit media ministry that produces videos and a podcast to help people connect to God through nature. He works for the National Audubon Society, managing bird conservation in Minnesota, Iowa, and Missouri. And he lives in Shoreview here with his wife and his kids. And so would you please welcome to the stage, Dr. Dale Gentry. It is so fun to be back on campus. I spent 11 years here as full-time faculty. Glad I'm here during midterms when nothing is on your mind and you're excited to, uh, to, to listen to chapel. But no, uh, it, so, such a treat to be here. Uh, thanks for that introduction, Darren. Uh, I, I cherish my time here at Northwestern. I'm still part-time adjunct faculty, but now I get to do a few other projects, uh, as Darren mentioned. And so uh, I want to talk to you a little bit today about this sort of... this intersection of science and faith, which is maybe some of you have some science midterms this week. Maybe this will help. I don't know. This is study hall. Sure, right? Um, so as we, as we lean into our faith, uh, we have to start uh, w- with scripture, right? Uh, next slide, please. So uh, the Bible, of course, I hope you've heard of it. You're roughly familiar with it. Uh, rumors, rumor has it Northwestern students spend a little time digging into the word, right? Uh, Jesus tells us this whole book was written about him, right? John 5, he says, this, the whole thing is, is it's about me. And he, you know, he died and he came back to life, so I'm, I'm compelled to believe him. Um, and, and yet, if I'm perfectly honest, throughout my life as a, as a disciple, uh, there are parts of the Bible that I, that I kind of don't know what to make of, that I struggle with a little bit. I, I think if we're honest, we find that there are certain passages that are just a little bit challenging. I want to share with you today a few passages that I both love and delight and also wrestle with just a little bit um, to try and help us think about how we can connect with God beyond Scripture, but also uh, through, through the rest of God's creation. Next slide, please. So uh, good old uh, King David in Psalm 19 had this, uh, this passage, and if you've taken a biology class or a science class at Northwestern, I bet this verse is familiar to you. And hopefully you've read it on your own at some point. But it says, right, that what God has created, the heavens explicitly, but creation is a revelation of God's glory. That it speaks to us and it preaches to us, but without words, right? So it's a beautiful metaphor saying that we can encounter God's goodness and glory through what God has created. As a biologist, I have to just delight in that. And at the same time, I feel like maybe it's not as clear to me as it was to King David, right? Uh, I study birds. I love being outside. I feel good when I'm out there. And yet, I'm not exactly sure which parts are revealing God's glory and which parts are just kind of me like enjoying the sunshine, right? A, a certain part of me wants this to be explicit. Like, God, which, which parts are, 
how do I interpret this, right? Scripture is pretty plain. There are words, and I can connect those words and make meaning out of them. But when I go out into the woods, I feel great. I'm happy when I'm out there, but I don't know how to interpret it. It's a little bit more mysterious than connecting with God through the story of Jesus and redemption to this world that we encounter in Scripture. Right, so I both love it and I a little bit struggle with it because I, I find that the mystery, that there's too much ambiguity. I, I don't know what to do with it. I like things to be clear cut and black and white. I want to know how to do it and that I haven't been given a rule book for how to find God's glory. And so I'm not sure what to do with it. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, the Apostle Paul also had something to say laying out the good old Romans road, right? He starts with this. If we go a few verses ahead, we'd say that God's kind of like frustrated with us, right? Why is he frustrated with us? Especially he's frustrated with those of us that deny his goodness and his existence. How could we possibly deny it when what can be known about God is so clearly evident through what has been made, right? That God's divine glory and goodness divine power in nature, clearly evident through what has been made. As a biologist, again, I have to love that, embrace it. And at the same time, it's hard not to, uh, to say, well, if, if God's goodness and divine power and, and nature are so clearly evident through what has been made, why is it that the people in our society that devote their lives to the study of nature, scientists, kind of have a reputation of not being so keen on God's glory and goodness and divine nature. Right? If it's so darn clear, Paul, why don't we all see it that way today, right? These verses are wonderful and, and challenging. This vision of God's revealed through his good creation uh, is, is so clear to many people. Next slide, please. Uh, we encountered the story of good old St. Augustine. You've probably heard of him. There's a uh, carving of him up on, on Nazareth Hall, pretty important theologian. 1,700 years ago, he says, we shouldn't really think about the book of God. We should think about the, the books of God. He said we had... The, the book of creation, which came first, and God revealed himself in those terms. And then later on, we had the book of scripture, which gives us uh, a more detailed account of the story of, of God and how he's redeeming us and, and this world, right? So the idea of nature as a revelation of God is an old, old idea, and yet, in our modern society, next slide please, we tend to think of a science or faith approach, right? That somehow studying how God's creation works is going to cause problems for your devotion to God's kingdom. Why is that, right? This is I don't know how much time you've thought about this. I spend way too much of my life puzzling over just this. This is why I started my little ministry project. If we're disciples of Jesus, shouldn't science, which tells us how God's creation work, just 
you know, be a, such a delight that we can better understand God's vision for how this world works. And yet, this is, this is the picture that, paints, that um, society paints for us, some scientists want to paint for us, even some people in our own faith circles want to paint for us. Be careful going into the sciences, you know, it might be bad for your faith. Why is that? Next slide, please. What happened from 1,700 years ago when St. Augustine is saying, the book of nature is a revelation of God to modern society where we say, you know, spending too much time studying nature is going to maybe cause problems for your faith. Now, that's a misnomer. That's not truth. It doesn't have to be that way, but it can be that way. And the reason is because we're doing it wrong, okay? So I would argue that, that our approach to sometimes both faith and science have, have changed and that uh, the way we think about things in today's world is quite different from the way St. Augustine and the Apostle Paul and King David thought about things. And the reason we struggle with it and the reason I wrestle with those verses is because uh, I have a very modern view of the world and I have a hard time making sense of those very old passages from scripture, right? So next slide, please. So in our modern world, in the vision of faith and science, we can see how faith has been with us from the beginning, right? We, and we, uh, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. Our, our connection with God has been there forever. Science has not. Uh, we've been curious about God's creation forever, but science really came about. There's an origin story for it. It's about 400 years old. Science in the modern form, the way we do it today. And so faith and science have changed. Science certainly has changed. And the way we think about science uh, and how God's creation works and what science is revealing to us has changed. Next slide, please. So we, we now live in a, 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 an age of science. Right? We, we believe that the process of science is helping us understand you know, the way that the Earth's revolving around the sun and the way uh, you know, plants are growing and, for me, the way birds are, our populations are, are doing and those sorts of things. So we live in, in very much a scientific age. There's nobody in Western society that isn't immersed in the idea that we can use this process to understand how the world works. And that's undeniably a good thing, yes? We've got medicine, we've got technology, we've got understanding, we can avoid disease, we can, all, all kinds of good things have come from that. But there have been some challenges too. And I want to focus on one of them today, next slide please, which is the question of how God acts. How does God get stuff done? Right? How does God accomplish his purposes in the world. We have a number of uh, verses in scripture, theological concepts of God's providential upholding of creation and that God's present in, in our daily lives. But when we think about how God acts and as we sort of flip through scripture, we might resonate more with the stories of, of God's miracles, right? Because those are explicit. They are obvious. There's no explanation for how uh, someone could, could die on a cross 
be dead for days and come back to life. Science, science isn't have any explanation for that, right? It has to have been through God. The creation of the earth from nothing. Science is silent on that. Uh, a, a virgin birth. The resurrection of the dead. The healing of people that have been born with afflictions. Miracles, right, that we, that we, uh, that we love the, the stories of because they remind us of God's power that this is God's world and not ours, that there's something bigger than, than what we can know and understand. And so God's miracles resonate with us as a, a revelation that, that God's got things uh, under control. But, right, here's the but. If we get stuck in the mindset that that is the only way that God is acting, it can cause some problems, I think. I think that can be troubling if we, if we say that God is active in the mysteries, but absent in the scientific explanations of how the trees grow and how, you know, the birds reproduce and how the heavens work and Einstein's theory of relativity and Kepler's laws of motion. Are, is God present in that as well? At some point, we need to reconcile those questions, right? So I think a good place to start is to go to God's second book of Revelation, to Scripture. It's got a lot to say about how God acts. Next slide, please. So uh, let's start um, uh, one more click forward with this verse from the Psalms, 139. I bet you've read this one before, kind of a famous one. It says in Psalm 139, uh, you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay? So it, this is a description of how God acts. God is a knitter, right? God is knitting us together in our, in our mother's womb. Is that vision of God's action in conflict with the science of embryology, right? I took embryology in college, it was a long time ago. Uh, we have a, a, a pretty good explanation of how you and I developed in our mother's womb, right? There's, there's sperm and the egg come together and then they develop into a zygote, and, you know, blastocyst, mitosis and some other stuff, right? We, there's some mysteries still in that story uh, we don't totally understand where our consciousness comes from. There are few, still a few mysteries, but we have a pretty good explanation for how you and I came together in our mother's womb, right? Is that in tension with this verse? Are those alternative explanations of how we came to be? I wish this was a room full of 12 people so we could have a discussion and you'd give me some answers. Uh, I hope you would say, no, those are not alternative explanations. Those are complementary explanations, right? That God knit me together in my mother's womb in southern Idaho 40-something years ago, right? Uh, and that that's how God brought me into this world. That God was active 
through the process of mitosis, et cetera, et cetera, right? That what science can reveal, what science, the story that science tells us is the story of how God acts, not an explanation that is separate from God's activity in this world. One more click, please. Let's, what about this one? This is a little bit spicy, right? This is undeniably a miracle, a crazy story about Moses and the Israelites fleeing from Egypt and a bunch of scary people chasing after them. And oh yes, this giant body of water split open and they walked across on dry land. How did that happen? Miracle, right? A miracle. What does scripture say? It says, a strong east wind drove the sea back and turned it into dry land. So scripture provides kind of a scientific explanation for the splitting, the parting of the Red Sea. Right? The Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. Was it a miracle? I mean, I guess, right? God used a natural process, apparently, a strong east wind, to achieve a quite unique uh, outcome of the splitting of the sea. Do you see where I'm going with this, right? God works through miracles, yes, and God is active. If we revisit the scriptures with an open mind and an open heart, we find that the scriptures actually want us to see that God is present and active in all of these processes that God designed and that God is still present in. And that when you have children someday and that knitting together, God is present in that. And that when trees are growing someday, God is present in that. And as the birds are migrating south right now, which I'm of great interest in, God is, God is active in that, right? So does this mean that God is not active in miracles? Of course not, right? So we're not looking for an either or. We're saying God acts through miracles and God acts through mitosis and wind and gravity and physics and all of the delightful things that we encounter in a science room. Okay, next slide please. A good place to start with this, if, if you haven't meditated on it recently, is Psalm 104. Many people call this the creation psalm. It's a little poetry that asks us to engage our imagination and think about how God is present in the rising and setting of the sun, in the falling of the rain, in the growing of the grass, in the feeding of the animals, and even in the death of the animals, right? When that was written 3,000 years ago, they knew how animals were fed. They could see them eating grass. They were, this is an agricultural society, right? And shepherds, they knew how animals were fed, yet it said that God feeds them, right? Again, our modern society, our modern mindset that's stuck in the scientific world says that, did God do it or did it happen through you know, digesting grasses, which are then turned in through, uh, you know, all of the wonderful delicacies of Dr. Simat's uh, uh, 
biochemistry classroom can explain how those grasses get digested and turned into molecules that feed our bodies and build our muscles, et cetera, et cetera. No, the, the authors of scripture want us to see God present in miracles as Jesus performed to display his power in the world. And the authors of scripture want us to see God's present action in the everyday things that science can explain. Next slide, please. There's a wonderful quote from someone else. I hope you, uh, you know this name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a, a wonderful theologian in Germany during World War II, famous for, um, for pushing back against the Nazi regime. He thought about more than just that. Here are his thoughts, right? He says, how, how wrong is it to use God as a stopgap for the incompleteness of our knowledge? If in fact, the frontiers of knowledge are being pushed further and further back, and that's bound to be the case. He's talking about science, right? He's saying science is gonna keep explaining more and more stuff, and if we only think that God is present in the miracles, God has a smaller and smaller role. God is being pushed back with them, therefore continually in retreat. We need to find God in what we know, not only in what we don't know, right? So, uh, what I want you to do then, next slide please, is to think about God's active role in nature. And what I think that will accomplish, what I hope that will accomplish is that next time you spend time in a science classroom, or next time you go for a walk, or you go camping, or you go for a canoe trip, or you uh, go bird watching, hopefully, um, you will start to have a religious experience while you are out in nature. You'll start to encounter and understand God's activity in the everyday things that, that we can observe and explain. Now, I suspect that this is gonna be a little bit uncomfortable for some of you because this is not how you were taught to do it in church. It's not how I was taught to do it in church. This is why I started my whole Disciple Science Project because I find that many Christians feel like they're, it's like somehow heretical to, to like look at nature and find God. Is that, is that like, you know, heading me on some, the path to some new age religion? No, this is first century Christianity. Right? This is what the, the followers of Jesus encouraged us to do. So, next slide, please. Let me give you a few guidelines, a few, uh, a few helpful hints if you want to dabble in this idea that you can know God through God's creation, like the Apostle Paul and like King David encouraged us to do. Number one, start with Scripture. You're, you're comfortable with Scripture. That's a good place to start. And if you dig into scripture, you're gonna find that scripture invites you to go outside and encounter God in nature, okay? There are lots of places to do that. Like I said, Psalm 104, my favorite place to start. The last couple chapters of Job, holy cow, that's meaty stuff, right? Job's wrestling with all these questions about why do bad things happen and God comes back with a, a, an ecology quiz. He's like, well, what do you know about you know, what makes the sunrise and the sunset? What do you know about how the animals are, are fed and what causes their, their lives to start and end, right? God is deeply interested and involved in his world. Go to the Sermon on the Mount, right, where Jesus' own instructions say, look at the birds of the air. God loves them and none of them fall to the ground without his attention and he loves you even more, right? We read that and we take the message 
that God loves us, but we forget the first instruction. Look at the birds of the air, right? God wants you to be a bird watcher. Uh, look at Romans 8, uh, and where it talks about the creation, mourning, and anticipating being freed from its bondage to decay, right? God wants you to mourn along with it. And of course, you can go back to Genesis 1, 2, but that's not, well, 1 and 2 if you want. One, Genesis 1 also, which has a lot to say about the creation of God's world and our place in it. So if you aren't comfortable finding God in nature, go to scripture, which will tell you to find God in nature. Next slide, please. Uh, second thing, practice, right? The best way to do this is to actually go outside and be intentional about it. Bring your Bible with you if it makes you feel more comfortable. Spend some time in prayer. Uh, find a park, a quiet sp space. Go to Lake Johanna and, um, and say, God, help me to find you today in the wind and in the waves and the trees and the birds, maybe through a microscope or a telescope. If you ask for God to reveal himself to you, God will do it. You will, you will find God there. Uh, this is something that, again, modern society, science, we're a very literal, explicit culture. This feels a little bit uncomfortable, but this, God will reveal himself to you. Next slide, please. And the last thing, and this might be our biggest challenge, and this is one of the hurdles to overcome, is to get comfortable with the idea that your imagination should be part of your journey of faith. We don't like to talk about it in those terms because we're, some people are afraid of what you'll imagine. But did you know that every time you think about God, you're using your imagination? How could you think about God without using your imagination? You can't. Jesus was a tangible person. You can encounter Jesus and think about God as, as, as a, in his human form. You think about God in the heavens, if he's sitting on a throne, that's not where God is actually at, right? He's not on a cloud, on a, on a chair. That's a, that's a metaphor. That's, that's the authors of scripture saying, this is how I want you to think about God, how I want you to imagine God. And there's actually so much in scripture that says, look at nature, use your imagination to think about God, right? Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Doesn't that require some imagination to t pull theology out of those words, right? So the authors of scripture were all about using your imagination to think about God and probably engaging your imagination to find God in creation. So that's okay. You, you should actively engage your imagination as you are contemplating the glory of God, okay? Next slide, please. This is, this is a, probably a lifelong process. It's not gonna click for you overnight. It's not gonna be easy in all cases. There are some muddy places where this gets a little bit complicated. But ultimately, what my hope is for you is that uh, your encounter of God will happen beyond the walls of a church, beyond uh, your quiet time with scripture in, in the morning or evening or, or wherever that may happen, that you will learn to connect with God everywhere you go, especially as you encounter him in God's creation. My hope is that you will be compelled to, to care for it because 
we're asked to do so on the first page of scripture, but that you'll find that, that by, by finding God in creation, you, you will have a, a closer relationship with it and that you will find that this is, caring for creation comes as naturally to you as caring for each other and that this is part of, of a Christian journey. And ultimately, I hope it also helps you think about science and how science is not a, a scary place to go as a, as a follower of Jesus, but it's a place to better understand how God acts in this world because God is present in all of the processes that he designed and that we can uh, study and understand through, through the, the process of science. Okay, next slide, please. Uh, thanks again for the opportunity to come and talk with you. It's such a treat. I have a little project, as I said, it's called Disciple Science. We have a website, disciplescience.com, or actually just go to YouTube, look up Disciple Science. You'll find some videos to talk about science and faith issues and connecting with God and nature and caring for creation and all this stuff that I think way too much about. Uh, I would love to talk with some of you. I prefer a small classroom where we can have relationships, but that's not this space. But if you want to talk to me more about this stuff, there's my email address. I'd be, I'm not like super prompt always, but I promise I'll try and get back to you. Uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm meeting a former student for coffee here tomorrow. So I'm not, I would love to do that with some of you if you have questions or, or Zoom or phone or who knows what else. But uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk with you today. 